So we are all very aware of the photograph of the man in the crowd who refused to give Hitler his Heil. If we talk about 1930s Germany, the man who stood up for principles, the man who stood up for his own beliefs against dictatorship, against suppression of free speech and free thought. And such a man in the context of Soviet Armenia was Nersik Stepanyan. Hello, my name is Pietro Shakarian, and today I'm going to tell you about the life of Nersik Stepanyan. In Yerevan, if you are driving down Mashtots Avenue, you will no doubt know very well, especially if you grew up in Yerevan and you went to Daprots in Yerevan, you know very well the Charents Memorial Museum after our wonderful poet Yegesha Charents. And just right next to this, uh, you know, House Museum of Charents, this Memorial Museum of Charents, appropriately, there is a plaque for a lesser-known person, a lesser-known individual, Nersik Stepanyan. And this is quite fitting. It's quite fitting because, and this is over, by the way, this Nersik Stepanyan Memorial is on Karen de Mercian Street, exactly right next to the Charens Memorial Museum on the corner of Karen de Mercian and Mashtots Avenue. And uh, it is very appropriate because Stepanyan, first of all, not only stood up for his beliefs, but he also defended Charens, and he defended many Armenian writers and defended Armenian national expression uh, in the context of this period of the 1930s. This was a man who stood up to Lavrenti Beria, who played a very, very negative role in the history of the Armenian people, and who played a very active role in repressions in Armenia. But despite the threats that Beria was imposing on Armenia, despite the repression he was imposing on the Armenian people, Stepanian stood up for his beliefs, despite incredible odds. Nersik Stepanian was a remarkable person in the history of Soviet Armenia and the history of Armenia in general. He was a man who, who stood up, like I said, he stood against the grain, he stood up for his convictions and his beliefs, despite enormous pressure uh, not to openly speak about what he believed. He was born on February 14th, 1898, in the city of Elizavetpol which is today Ganja, Azerbaijan. This was a city that historically had a very large Armenian community, Armenian population. And Stepanian was born to a bourgeois family, a family of wine growers, right? Wine growers, merchants. This, this is quite interesting because many of the Bolshevik revolutionaries, and Stepanian was a revolutionary, in addition to being also an educator and economist, he was a revolutionary. Uh, many of these Bolshevik revolutionaries came from bourgeois backgrounds, including even Lenin came from a, a bourgeois background. But he came to, uh, you know, embrace uh, revolutionary ideas. He was born to a very large family. So imagine this. Nersik Stepanian's mother, Anna Nersisovna, she had seven sons and two daughters. That's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of uh, children in that family. And as he grew older, like many youth, uh, Armenian youth and, and youth of the Russian Empire, he came to embrace revolutionary ideas, uh, not necessarily Bolshevik ideas. At first, he was very much drawn to the ideas of Pyotr uh, Kropotkin, 
who was actually an anarchist. So this was his original kind of ideological, you know, baptism of fire was Kropotkin. It was not, uh, you know, Lenin. Eventually, later on, he would gravitate toward, uh, you know, the Bolsheviks. And by December 1917, that fateful year of 1917, we can know what happened in 1917, first in February, and then in, of course, October, uh, we had the revolutions of 1917 in Russia. This is the year he joins the Bolshevik Party. It was his beloved Elizabeth Paul, where the young Stepanian began doing revolutionary agitation and activity during these fateful years of 1917 to 1920. What is actually quite interesting about this period of time is uh, the city of Elizabethpol, Ganja as we know it today, fell under the control of the Musavatist regime in Azerbaijan. The Musavatist regime in Azerbaijan was a very highly nationalistic uh, government that was very much allied with the, uh, you know, the Ottoman Turkish government, the Young Turk government, the Itihadist regime. And uh, despite the pressure, this is actually kind of his first uh, experience, really, Stepanian's first experience with standing up for his beliefs, was in, in the atmosphere of Musavatist Azerbaijan, which was an atmosphere where Bolsheviks in particular were not really welcome in terms of their ideas. They were not really tolerated. He nevertheless stood up and advocated uh, for his point of view. And so, for instance, uh, in the town square in Ganja, there was an effort by the Musavatist government to actually organize kind of nationalistic groups to you know, rally support for the regime. And actually he and other Bolsheviks, local Bolsheviks, in Elizabethpol, in Ganja, uh, basically kind of thwarted uh, this effort by the Musavatist uh, government. So he was involved in a kind of agitprop. He was involved in agitation propaganda for, uh, you know, the Bolsheviks in Elizabethpol. He eventually went to Tiflis. He, so he went to the Georgian capital, Tiflis, Tbilisi. And it was here, actually, he stayed at the apartment of an Armenian priest. He continued his revolutionary activities. He was under investigation by the Georgian Mensheviks this time. And finally, he came, you know, he actually was involved, I should say, with revolutionary events in Armenia. So Armenia, this is not really a well-known chapter of the Armenian history, but in May 1920, during the period of the First Republic, there was a Bolshevik uprising in Armenia, what they call the May Uprising in Armenia. This May Uprising was mostly concentrated on the city of Alexandropol, which is today our Gyumri, but also it included the city of Kars, which at the time, this is part of the First Republic of Armenia. It also spread to northeastern Armenia, to Tavush. And in fact, Tavush, uh, the Armenians there, because many of them uh, did seasonal work in Baku and were part of the working class, many of them were drawn to the Bolshevik ideas. And it was more difficult for the Dajnak government to uh, put down this rebellion in Tavush. In Alexandropol, it was much easier for them to kind of suppress that uprising. But nevertheless, after these uh, events of May 1920, Stepanian was not directly involved in the May uprising itself, but he was involved in the effort of continuing revolutionary activity in Armenia, in the First Republic. And this is actually quite interesting because the Dajnaks, actually the First Republic government, was actually more tolerant until the May Uprising, was more tolerant of the Bolsheviks in Armenia. But this is also a period now when we get to, you know, May 1920 period, 
1920, we're talking more and more about conflict between Bolsheviks and Dajnaks. And this was the um, focus, if we talk about Soviet times, of many different kind of Soviet films and, and culture and literature and so on and so forth. So Stepanian basically was involved in organizing underground activities in Alexandropol against the, you know, the First Republic. So as we know, what happens in, is that Armenia eventually is Sovietized. The First Republic falls. And Stepanian is, becomes one of the major leaders of the emerging Soviet Armenian Republic. Actually, the Turks, by the way, Alexandropol, Shirak Mars, or our Shirak Mars today in Armenia, basically came under attack by the Turks at the time of the Turkish-Armenian War at the end of 1920. And Stepanian, as part of the Bolshevik organization in Alexandropol, actually worked to defend the city against the Turkish incursions into uh, Gyumri. So the Armenian Republic was eventually Sovietized. Stepanian became one of the uh, rising young leaders in the Republic. Now imagine this. I said earlier in this podcast that he was born in Elizabethpol in February 1898. So 1920, he's already 22 years old, a very young man. During this period, so Armenia is Sovietized. At first, the Sovietization is rather harsh. The new Soviet Armenian government is, is implementing very you know, harsh policies. They're not popularly received. People are reacting against this. Uh, this creates the conditions for the February uprising in 1921, led by Nezhde in Armenia. And it's at this point that actually Lenin decides to bring in Alexander Khan the great Armenian Bolshevik leader, to stabilize the situation in the republic. It's under Miasnikan's leadership that the Soviet Armenian Republic begins to rebuild, that all these great Armenian intellectuals and artists and writers are invited to the republic to help build this new Armenia. And this is actually kind of, uh, if we are making, I mean, historical analogies are, mm, they're not necessarily perfect. But if we look at the case of Israel, found after World War II, uh, kind of a nation founded after Holocaust, after the genocide. It's a moment of rebuilding for the Jewish people. Similar, we can say the same thing about Armenia, as a matter of fact, in this period of time, in this period of the new economic policy NEP. This is a period of rebuilding. So after years of genocide, after the unstable years of the First Republic, after the kind of civil conflict between Dajnaks and Bolsheviks, finally Armenians have an opportunity to breathe and to rebuild and to create a new republic. And Yerevan becomes the symbol of this rebirth, that Yerevan becomes a new city, right? It becomes from a kind of a clay pot village, begins to evolve into a major, major city in the Caucasus and the capital of the Armenian Republic. It is at this period of time that Stepanian, as a rising young uh, member of the Bolshevik party, in the Caucasus, in Armenia, uh, decides to take, he's actually recommended by the Armenian Communist Party to take his studies to Moscow. And he joined, he became a student in the economics faculty of the Institute of, you know, People's Economy after Karl Marx. He was very successful in his studies in Moscow, and he followed this up as a student at the Institute of Red Professors in Moscow. So he really, really became a party intellectual in other words, a, a kind of a theoretician of the party. He was so uh, impressive that they sent him to Baku, as a matter of fact. In the early 1930s, he was sent down to Baku and became the head of the Transcaucasian uh, Communist University 
after the 26 Baku commissars. So he became a rector at the Transcaucasian Communist University of the 26 Baku commissars, named, of course, after the Baku 26 who were killed during the period of the Russian Civil War on September 20th, 1918, including Stepan Xiaomian, but Alyosha Japaridze and all these others. So he taught here. And eventually, he also worked his way up to become the Minister of Education of the Armenian Republic. Nersik Stepanian was a great defender of cultural national heritage. Nersik Stepanian was a socialist, and he was an internationalist, but he was against uh, what Anastas Mikoyan called in 1954 in his speech in Yerevan, fast-forwarding to that period, what Mikoyan called national nihilism, the insensitivity to national concerns and national cultures. Nersik Stepanian was 100% against national nihilism. He promoted national cultures and national heritages. Not only Armenian. So, for instance, uh, there were uh, efforts to censor Armenian national culture. Our beloved song, Krunk, this Armenian national song, was uh, there were some Armenian communists, as a matter of fact, who... Uh, were very uh, who said, well, this is kind of bourgeois nationalism and so on and so forth. But it was Stepanian who defended this song. It was Stepanian who defended, uh, you know, our great Armenian national culture against uh, the efforts by uh, national nihilists in Armenia and in the Caucasus to uh, attack this culture. And not only uh, was he involved in protecting Armenian national culture, he was also involved in protecting, let's say, Kurdish national culture. As the Minister of Education of the Republic of Armenia, he also promoted actively Kurdish language schools. He promoted even, you know, Turkish Azerbaijani language schools. But he was very, very active in preserving Armenian national culture and to uh, prevent against Armenian national culture from disappearing. He also defended and he withstood many attacks against him for defending many, many important Armenian writers including uh, Yegisha Charents, first and foremost, who was a great friend of Nersik Stepanian, but also Axel Bakuns. These were wonderful, wonderful Armenian intellectuals and writers who really were also fervent communists. They were fervent Bolsheviks. But just as much as they were passionate about socialism and uh, the Soviet Union, they were equally passionate for their nation. They were equally passionate for Armenia, for Armenian national culture, as we know. And Stepanian despite everything, despite the attacks on him, stood up for these writers uh, when they were being attacked by others. But then storm clouds began to come over the Caucasus. So uh, the leader of Soviet Georgia, who was also the leader of the Transcaucasian Federation, because Armenia at this time was not necessarily yet a separate republic, it came under the umbrella of something known as the Transcaucasian uh, Soviet Federative Socialist Republic. And the leader was Sergo Orzhanikidze. Orzhanikidze recently received a promotion in Moscow, and he left Tiflis. In his place, rising to power, was a Georgian Bolshevik, Lavrenti Beria, who had his ties with the security forces in Georgia. Beria not only uh, decided to immediately consolidate his position in Georgia through brutal repressions against his own Georgian people, but wanted to consolidate his control over the whole Caucasus region. In Azerbaijan, he was able to get that situation under wraps by having his friend, his buddy, Mir Jafar Bagirov, 
in power there to run the repressions and run the show. But he could not control Armenia. The Armenian Bolsheviks, the Armenian communists, were very vocal against Beria's efforts to impose his view, his narrative, of the Russian revolutionary events. Beria wrote a history, a so-called history, of the Bolsheviks of the Caucasus, in which he claimed, in which he actually rather inflated his own role and the role of Stalin, who was now de facto leader of the Soviet Union and rising to consolidate his own hold over the country. Beria's book on the history of the Caucasus was not well received in Armenia. There were many critics. The Armenian first secretary, Agassi Khanjian, defended these critics. He supported these critics. The entire Khanjian network was opposed to Beria and his falsifications of the history. But no Armenian leader was as vocally opposed to Lavrenti Beria as Nersik Stepanian. And Nersik Stepanian, despite everything that Beria was throwing at him, nevertheless stood up for his point of view. This was a man who the great Armenian, the Soviet-era Armenian historian, Sator Agayan, called a man of penetrating mind, iron logic, and high principles. This was a person who was everything Beria was not. I mean, he was sharp, he was intellectual, he was handsome, versus Beria. Stepanian basically would be visited by friends, and the friends would talk to him, and they would, you know, discuss, you know, recent issues going on in Armenia and the Caucasus. And he would show them Beria's little book, his shrill little book about the Bolsheviks in the Caucasus. And he would highlight the fact that this history was completely disconnected from the reality, as he himself experienced it, as a revolutionary in Elizabethpol, as a revolutionary in Alexandropol. As one individual who visited Stepanian at the time uh, recalled, right then and there he expressed his negative attitude toward this text. In this book, he found many distortions of historical facts, and he found that Beria's book deliberately downplayed the role of eminent party leaders, including Stepan Shamian. So we know Stepan Shamian. We know that the capital of Nagorno-Karabakh, Artsakh, is named after Shamian, Stepan the Kilt. So he is a very, you know, highly regarded person who is a major, you know, theoretician of Soviet nationality policy who led the Baku Commune. And here is Beria trying to downplay his role in the history of the Bolsheviks of the Caucasus. This is why Stepanian said that this book was not only the result of incredible ignorance, but was also a dangerous work that falsified the history of the party. He also um, understood Beria's actions, destructive actions, turning party members against each other, initiating repressions against party members he did not like, sowing discord and hatred within the party. And he would compare Beria to Abdul Hamid II, the Turkish sultan, the Ottoman sultan, who inflicted incredible massacres and uh, destruction against the Armenian population in Ottoman Armenia. And he said that both Abdul Hamid and Beria are responsible for physical extermination and moral and economic oppression. However, uh, Beria, of course, could not stand, you know, this much longer. He responded in kind to Nersik Stepanian's criticisms with articles demanding Stepanian be disciplined for his actions. But Stepanian could not be disciplined, and he continued to speak out against Beria and what Beria was doing. 
As the leader of the Transcaucasian Federation, Beria was able to promote his men in Armenia, the head of the NKVD, Khachik Mogdusi, and the second secretary of Armenia, Amatuni Amatuni, Varda Petian, so a man who was descended from a priest's family, if you can believe, was beginning this process of repressions in Armenia and serving as Beria's ally. And they began to close in on Stepanian, even when Agassi Khanjian was still the first secretary. While under Agassi Khanjian's feet, they pulled out the rug, and in May 21st, 1936, Beria's men made their move against Stepanian. Bogdusi called for his arrest. He wrote to the prosecutor of the Armenian Republic that now is the time to take Stepanian and arrest him. And so Stepanian was arrested already on May 21st, 1936, before Khanjian's death. And this is another story. This is interesting because Khanjian, even though he was a, like Stepanian, like Chaurens, he was a committed communist, but he also believed in the national idea. He was defending these critics of Beria. And Beria invited Khanjian to his office in Tiflis. We can imagine how this meeting went. <laughs> It didn't end really well for uh, Agassi Khanjian. In the office, according to the, according to the Soviet investigation of the 1950s, Khanjian was personally shot by Beria. Most likely this was the result of an altercation between the two men. But Beria, after he shot Khanjian, realized he had an incredible opportunity. Now that Khanjian is dead, I can really go to work on eliminating his whole network in Armenia. All the critics, all the people who have been attacking my book on the history of the Bolsheviks in the Caucasus, now I can get rid of them through my clients in Armenia. So Beria set to work on initiating the Stalinist repressions in Armenia. This is what happened. Beria effectively was, Stalin effectively delegated out the repressions to Beria in uh, the Republic. And so the repressions... Uh, began in Armenia. Beria followed up the arrest of uh, Stepanian with the arrest of several other party intellectuals, including the writer Axel Bakuns. From here, he began to arrest many others. He began to arrest Danusha Verdian. He began to arrest Mahari. He began to arrest, eventually, Yegesha Charens. Meanwhile, Stepanian, in jail, refused to back down from his principles. Of course, he was subjected to brutal NKVD torture. He was forced to sign confessions to things he had never said. But nevertheless, he continued to hold firm to his principles, stating, I accuse, I exposed, and will expose, I will not retreat from the positions of Lenin. But eventually, on July 8, 1937, along with the famous Armenian writer Axel Bakuns and Drastamater Simonian, he was executed by the NKVD. It was at this moment as he was being shot, Stepanian reportedly shouted, to hell with Stalin, while Bakuns and Tersimonian defiantly sang the Internationale. Armenia in these in this years, in this period of 1936, the late 1936 into 1937, was a, a terrible, terrible period for the Armenian people. As Mugdusi began arresting people left and right, this was really, really awful, awful, awful period. Imberia was at the center of this. After his success, if we can call it that, in Armenia, Beria repeated the same formula in Abkhazia with Nestor Lakoba and his network. Suddenly, Lakoba mysteriously died. Imberia set to work on destroying his network as well. But all this was not to last. Eventually, the repressions in Armenia 
ceased and subsided, although the terror didn't fully go away. Stalin remained in power until, as we know, his death in 1953. Beria was promoted to the position of the head of internal affairs of the country, November 1938. And so the repression uh, did not fully cease until this period of the thaw, until the Zinhalij Zhamanak, as we would say in Armenian, or Vremya uh, Otepil, as they would say in Russian, that suddenly um, these this... Uh, period of repressions began to be investigated, first of all with Mikoyan's speech of March 1954 in Yerevan, and then Khrushchev's condemnation of Stalin at the 20th Party Congress of the Soviet Union in February 1956. And through this, Stepanian's memory and his spirit became resurrected in August 1954. And Mikoyan actually, after in the aftermath of his speech, had received the appeal for Khanjian from Khanjian's mother. So in August 1954, he forwarded that appeal to the Soviet Procurator General. And this resulted in the full investigation, as we know, of Agassi Khanjian's death and his rehabilitation in 1956. The rehabilitation of Khanjian enabled the rehabilitation of many others, including Nersik Stepanian, who was rehabilitated officially on June 1st, 1956. So what can we say about Nersik Stepanian? This was an amazing Armenian intellectual, somebody who we should know, who we should remember, who we should honor, whose memory we should honor. He is a part of the Armenian history, a great defender of Armenian national traditions, and a great defender of Chaurens and many Armenian national writers, but also an advocate for egalitarianism, social justice, and for an honest and fair society for Armenia and for all the Caucasian republics. Thank you.